Hi, this is Stay, and I am your host, Takesha August. On this podcast, you'll hear conversations and content dedicated to trust, love, and honoring our intuition from birth to motherhood, from work to womanhood. Collectively, we will be cultivating peace, joy, confidence, and community, the foundational elements of thriving in a well-lived life, and sharing some laughter along the way. Here's to new patterns, healed hearts, and becoming the masters of our own self-preservation. You are invited to stay with your heart, with your body, and with me. Hello and welcome to Stay. This is Takesha and I'm so honored to be having this conversation with my guest today who is a woman who has um, become a friend, a heart friend, and also a teacher to me over the last three plus years. Um, I've been a part of her her program that I was going to say this, her transformational experience, because it it has been such a transformational experience for me personally in my life. Um, But I'm really excited for her to share um, her heart and her mind with each of you listeners today. Um, And before I get all like sappy and mushy and weird, I'm just going to talk about who she is so that you won't have to be on the edge of your seat. So my guest today is Dr. Laura Thompson-Brady, and she believes that personal healing and empowerment are the foundation for the capacity, resilience, and fortitude individuals must embody to help create a better world. Holding a PhD in human development and family studies, Laura brings her academic lens to the deep archetypal work in her signature program, Journey Home to You. Her extensive experience facilitating women's circles and retreats, as well as her ongoing leadership training, supports her philosophy that personal empowerment is meant to solve the complex problems we face as communities for the betterment of all. Working with the natural world cycles, journey dance, chakra alignment, and sound healing, Laura offers a unique pathway for women to thrive in their lives, remember who they were before the world told them who they should be, and become change agents for the greater good. Laura lives with her husband and three daughters in Maine on the traditional territory of the Wabanaki Confederacy. You can learn more about her at journeyhometo.com, and I'll place the link um, in the show notes. Um, And without further ado, I would love for you all to meet... Dr. Laura Thompson-Brady, which of course we all call her Laura. Um, <laughs> hello, Laura. So good to Hi, see Chiquita. you. Well, I can it's see so her. Good. So you yeah. all can't see her. So the thing with the podcast, I think I've said this before, I love to be able to see people that I'm having conversations with. And maybe some time along down the road, we'll have like a video component. But this is more or less for our <laughs> comfort <laughs> to be able to see the people that we're having conversations with. So welcome, yeah. Laura. I'm so honored that you um, found it not robbery to join us on the podcast today. <laughs> Thank you, Takesha. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to see you. And I am so happy for us to have this conversation today. 
is, this is going to be so good, y'all. I hope you're ready. Um, and maybe, spoiler alert, maybe Laura <laughs> will grace us with a little bit of sound at the end if we can get it, you know, the technology gods to to support us in that because her capacity to to share healing and deliver um, safe spaces for people to heal, even across the airwaves of the internet is so powerful. So I know in the last couple of years, so many of us have um, kind of succumbed to this virtual world where our our churches have been online, our, you know, our coffee dates have been online, our work meetings and and connections have all been online. And it's been such a relief that the spaces that, you know, were typically um, resigned to healing that were like in in person, you had to show up there in your physical body in order to receive. It's, it's just been so beautiful to know that this particular experience, which was online before everything was forced to be online, um, has still been able to maintain its like really powerful resonance. Um, so I would love for you, Laura, to tell all of our listeners who you are, aside from, you know, your lovely bio, but who you are and what brought you to this powerful work that you've, you've been doing for the last however many years. Mm. What's coming to the forefront for me in asking that question of who I am and what brought me to this, I am actually being brought to when I was eight years old. And my father was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma cancer. Um, and the journey that we took as a family through his illness was a turning point um, for my little eight-year-old self in recognizing, and of course, I would not have used the language I use now, <laughs> but in recognizing how called I felt and I have always felt to hold healing space. So when my father uh, got sick and he got very sick um, and his chances of surviving were not good, um, my parents did all of the traditional uh, conventional pathways like, you know, he had major surgery. He uh, did all of the treatments, uh, chemotherapy that were necessary to try to get this advanced stage cancer out of his body. And they also connected um, with people who were doing attitudinal healing work. And it happened in the waiting room when he was waiting to get a chemo treatment. And my mom saw these two women uh, across the waiting room who were physically not well. You know, um, they were also very sick. They had cancer and they were bald and, um, and they were having this beautiful, joyful conversation. And my mom says, when she thinks back on that, they just were radiant. They were so radiant. And she, being the extrovert that she is, reached out to them and was like, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> There's something special going on here. And they, and they told her about the healing work that they were doing um, with a man named Ken Hamilton here in Maine, where we live, uh, who left his, his practice as a surgeon to hold space for critically ill people to um, be on this journey of healing themselves and finding wholeness within themselves, regardless of whether or not their physical bodies survived the illness, but to really tend to and love and nurture and heal their, their, their whole selves, their inner selves. 
And so uh, my parents ended up being a part of that process. And it was a very life-changing experience for um, both of them and and for me. And so I actually spent a lot of time, uh, Ken would come to our uh, house every week before he would hold the hope groups. It was, uh, the group was called hope. And, um, and I'd sit at the kitchen table and and talk with him as an eight-year-old girl and did this for years, like up through young adolescence, uh, talking weekly about all sorts of deep, deep stuff. (laughs) And, um, and so I think back to that time in my life, um, I do want to, I just want to mention that um, against all odds, my dad did survive the cancer, which is a tremendous gift to us all. He's still here with us. Um, And that was a real turning point for me in just having language and, and identifying how much it meant to me to hold healing space for my dad and how comfortable I felt being around all of these other people that we met through that time in our lives who were dealing with tremendous challenges and, you know, literally facing their mortality. Um, and so also through that time was this real opening into uh, music. My dad, a part of his healing journey included writing songs for himself and for his, oh, you know, cool. for his healing process. And so we sang a lot together <laughs> through that time. And um, so Uh, I know I'm going like in the way back time machine here to answer your question, but I'll bring it back (laughs) to to the present a little bit more. And what, you know, how that led me to doing the work that I do now is that, you know, I went to, I went to college, I studied opera for a short, short amount of time and realized that that wasn't the one and only thing I wanted to do with my life. So I opened up the pathway and ended up, uh, you know, doing my graduate studies in human development and family studies. And also though knew that the traditional academic track was not meant for me, that bridging together all of these different parts of me, you know, the part of me that is a singer, the part of me that is called to hold safe space, that is called to hold space for healing, as you said so well when you were introducing me. And and this other part of me that is fascinated with taking this long angle view and this um, cross-cultural view and this view that that really helps us understand human and lifespan development, as well as the systems that we're a part of from the primary social unit of all societies, which is the family, to the ways that we are interacting with the larger world, with our communities and and with the the larger forces that are at play in government and, and in the ways that we're interacting as a global family. Uh, you know, so my studies took me there. And then over the years, I uh, found my way to this place of finally feeling, and, and I think that this might be a piece of what feels important to the story too, is finally feeling this sense of tending to all of the parts of me that were afraid to really step into the calling with the healing work. There were all of these parts of me that were afraid to really use my voice in the ways that I have felt called to use my voice, singing and otherwise. There were parts of me that were afraid to do this healing work because it felt too weird or out there. Um, 
there were parts of me that felt like I would be too exposed if I really let myself be seen with those deepest callings. And so through my 20s into my 30s, I really had to be on this path of feeling, I think, the pain of um, of shutting those things down a bit and holding them in until I got to the point. Um, and this was, this point was after I'd had my second daughter. So this would have been in 2010, uh, leading into 2011, when I had this recognition of these parts of me that have been so dormant that I have been um, ignoring or, or quieting, there was something about the transition into motherhood. And so at that point, I was three years into motherhood. I'd had my, my first daughter three, three years before that, where I felt so alive and so rooted in my mission as their mother. But there was also this this breaking point that I was hitting within my own self, within my own being, where I was really seeing all of the parts of myself that I had been shutting down for some time because of fear. And then in those early years of having children, also feeling the pain of not tending to myself, not prioritizing my own well-being. Um, and so I remember I had this moment where I was looking at my second daughter. I was cleaning the dishes in the kitchen and I was looking down at her. She was I had like pots and pans out that she was playing with on the floor. And it was this moment of looking at her and just feeling my heart bursting <laughs> with just crazy love for this child. And it was this feeling of, I want the world for you. I want the world for you. And in the next breath, I felt this, it was like, almost felt like this punch in my gut, um, this pain in my chest of, if I want the world for you, I have to figure out how to give the world to myself now mm. so that you can see what that looks like so that you can see that that's possible for you. And so there was this moment of recognition that led me on the path of breaking kind of through those, those walls and those shells that I built around myself, you know, that kind of hard exterior to keep some of these parts, the healer, <laughs> the singer, the space holder. Um, and I just really let myself start exploring that in a way that that led me over the years to, I think, having the, the courage and the awareness of how fleeting and precious <laughs> this life is. Like, you know what, Laura, if this is what you're called to do, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so um, that was a really long answer, my friend. <laughs> oh, my God. But that was so good. That was a little bit like church. So um, you, you said so many good things. So y'all, this is basically how over the last few years, when I, when I say that Laura has held transformational space for myself personally, um, just the lens of experience that she's come from um, and her willingness to open, just open up with like all these incredible gifts and, you know, with, with the foundation of these stories just makes the transformation even more powerful. And so Laura, I want to 
I want to backtrack a little bit to where you said, you know, you were eight years old. And I think about, you know, I've got an eight-year-old, Jalen is eight. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. about like the really great questions and like the, the you know, the, the developmental stage of an eight-year-old and how that stage, all the things that come into a child's life at that point can really be transformational and like lay the groundwork for who they become as adults. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I just, I feel like that, that had to have been such a powerful time for you to just observe that from these, these little girl eyes and to, you know, witness the power of this transformational healing space that this man was holding for people who were battling these terminal illnesses um, mm-hmm. And then to see your your parents surrender to that process, mm-hmm. and then to hear how you know your own experience in motherhood, um, and that kind of awakening of if I if I want to give my my girls the world, essentially, like I've got to give it to myself first. Like that that was a word in and of itself. Like that that was so <laughs> powerful because I think we forget we forget how important it is. Um, even though there's all these little messages, even, you know, you get on a plane, they say, put your oxygen mask on first before assisting your smaller, you know, passenger or traveler or whatever, um, which is usually a child. Um, but we like a lot of times that gets lost and we kind of buy into, uh, you know, the societal pressures to just keep pressing and just to stifle how hard life can be and pretend like everything is is easy, especially motherhood, like, and, and partnering, mm-hmm. like, oh, pretend like it's great and show us yeah. all the pictures of you and your smiling husband and your happy children who are always clean and well-behaved. And, <laughs> you, you know, like people want to see all the, the good parts um, and even discounting how like really intrinsically we're all weird. Like we're, we're mm-hmm. all, we all have some weirdness. Like we are all still the same children that, you know, now grew up into these larger adult bodies. But if someone were to just like peek into all of our homes, they would see us like being silly with our partners or with our kids or dancing with the dog or all these things that we have made so abnormal because it's not normalized. But really Mm -hmm. those are the things that, that make us all relatable. Like we are all so human Mm -hmm. that our weirdness is not weird at all. Um, And one of my favorite things about the work that you do is that the women that come into the spaces that you hold are coming as, you know, these these raw forms of themselves. There's no preconceived notions of who they are. No one's coming in announcing who they're married to or what kind of work they do or even how many kids they have, if they have any at all, what they Mm -hmm. believe, who they worship, like none of that. Like we are all kind of coming in as these bodies who Mm -hmm. are, you know, open to exploring this journey back to whoever we were or whoever we are meant to be. Um, And I feel like it's just been the epitome of like a, you know, a come as you are, non-denominational, like Mm -hmm. even playing field. Like like if we could all just kind of get along in the world in the same way, so many problems would be solved. Um, So I, I would love to hear more about your... I guess like like the logistics of like your life at that time, like were you doing other work? Like did you do work within, you know, academia that you were like, oh, no, this is 
this is not exactly it for me. Were you were you on mm-hmm. stage being an opera singer at one point? Where like what what were like the logistical you know storyline pieces yeah. of Laura that was like oh or or were you a stay at home mom with all these degrees and we're like okay what am I going to do with all these things or this experience? So what did all that yeah. look like? Yeah. Uh, one thing I just want to say before I answer that, uh, that you named is when we come together in circle in journey home to you, I want to reiterate that. I think this is so powerful for us all to just think about. Um, we're not coming in with our titles. We're not coming Mm -hmm. in with the roles that we play. We're not focusing on our status in our personal lives and our families in our jobs and our communities, we are gathering together in a radically different way from the way that we typically interact with and relate to each other in everyday life. We are coming in with this simple intention of showing up exactly as we are in this moment what, with whatever it is that's showing up for me and this body and this heart and this mind in this moment. And we hold that invitation for every person who's coming together in circle. It feels weird, I think, for some people and awkward and strange and unexpected at first. But what happens is that we are coming together with this emergent possibility. And over the course of time, because we gather together for a year, we have this experience of something through this kind of um, open uh, open space that is not defined by all of the things we're doing out in the world, but this quiet, safe space for us to explore um, who we really are and what we're being called to at this time in our lives. There's this an incredible emergence that occurs for each person in the circle and this unbelievable experience of connection to each other that only happens when we allow ourselves to show up with that level of empowered vulnerability. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, you know, for everybody listening right now, I, I just invite you to, to think about that, to feel into that in your body about what that would do for you to, approach the way that you're interacting, even with just other people in your everyday lives, you know, maybe in the grocery checkout line, (laughs) Um, to just hold that space of we have a moment, an opportunity right here in this moment of just pure, simple connection. And it's it's as simple as opening our hearts. And that may sound silly, but I'm totally serious (laughs) of of just opening our hearts and seeing the person in front of you. So even as I'm about to talk about, you know, answer your question to Keisha, I want to frame it in this way first, um, that we're here to just be connecting <laughs> and witnessing and seeing and hearing each other. Uh, and it is, it is fascinating and beautiful and surprising when we get to learn about the winding path that we've all been on. Cause it's not a straight and narrow path. Is it for no. any one of us? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely it's, a, not. it's a winding wild road right, that we're on. Um, so, okay. So I'll share a little bit about my, my winding path. Um, so when, when I graduated high school, I did go to conservatory for just a year and studied opera for a year. And I, I think I mentioned this earlier, it just became clear quickly through that exploration that although it was a fascinating year of study, 
that being a performer, you know, and, and specifically in opera, like that wasn't, that wasn't my everything. And so mm. I ended up getting a, my, uh, bachelor's in literature and, um, and, and then, you know, moved on to graduate school eventually. And, <laughs> that whole story is a whole other, that would be a fun story to tell at another time. But I actually got into grad school by singing, um, randomly in a restaurant where I was waiting a table. Like Ooh. I was waiting tables. <laughs> that sounds like the perfect scene to like, a. uh, a romance, like a, a romantic comedy that we've all seen before. Yeah. I mean, it was really ridiculous. <laughs> I just like happened to be talking to this older couple who I was serving and they were like hanging out, having a nice long dinner, having a good old time. And, and, uh, I had mentioned, we got into, you know, they're like, so, you know, like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I, you know, went to school for opera for a little bit. And then the, the woman demanded repeatedly and they stayed for like two hours. She's like, you must sing to us before we leave. And so finally I was like, ah, oh, what the heck? So I sang this Italian art song to them in the middle of the restaurant, you know, just acapella, you know, and she just grabbed my arm and she was like, who are you? <laughs> and, you know, what are you doing here? <laughs> and so then we talked more about, um, you know, the kinds of things that I was trying to figure out and, and the, the things that I was wanting to maybe do with my life, although I didn't feel completely clear about the, the exact how, right? Um, and she happened to be the chair of the Department of Human Development and Family Studies at the University of Delaware. So that led Amazing. me to, um, <laughs> to uh, applying to that program. Um, so, so that maybe is actually a kind of good little nugget about both the winding path, it's, and that when we open ourselves up to not only having open-hearted communication, because that's what we were having over the course of that meal, but then to like be a little bit brave, even if it's weird, awkward, uncomfortable. And so I did this weird, awkward thing. I just sang, uh, you know, uh, an operatic song in the middle of the restaurant. This was not a singing restaurant, by the way. <laughs> it's just like a normal old little bistro, you know. I but just, was, I love, it, I love this scene that it's creating in my mind. This, this is what, like, I, I'm a storyteller at heart, and so yeah. like to be able to see, like, the landscape of how all this looked. Because, and 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 I'll tell you, like, I I love um, just kind of knowing little nuggets because I I think it's important for people to realize like the whole of their lives, even though it seems like things feel so disjointed, like mm -hmm. it all, like they all serve such a, a phenomenal purpose. So like, yes. even though like you were brave to like open your mouth and use this incredible tool and gift that you just quite naturally had um, to, you know, share with this woman, I, I don't believe that there are ever any accidents or coincidences, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's so, back to your point about how, you know, we, we kind of enter into circle as just who we are. I feel like that really speaks to the developmental stage of your exposure to healing. And so mm -hmm. like, if you witness, you know, young children, seven, eight, nine years old, they don't come with you know, these preconceived, at least in observing my kid, he, he wants to make friends with everyone. And he enters and he doesn't walk into a circle and say, hi, my mom is this and her name is this. And I live in this house and on this street and this neighbor, <laughs> like he's just kind of walks up and they like children just connect and That's they just right. start from where they are. And I feel like this journey, this journey home to ourselves is really kind of this mm -hmm. journey home back to whatever developmental stage um, of vulnerability and openness that we were in mm -hmm. while embracing mm -hmm. the wisdom of our 
of our eldering years, like, you know, we're all stepping, I mean, and you talk about kind of like evolving into being wise elders one day. Like I, I hadn't really thought about that before our work together. Like, gosh, what, what kind of elder do I want to be? Like, what kind of wise woman do I want to (laughs) be? Like one day, do I, do I want to just kind of like not really recognize all this collective wisdom of my path? Um, so yeah, I, I do appreciate you sharing that little piece because uh, like, I can just see young Laura opening her mouth and singing in this non-singing bistro um, and connecting enough with this woman to, at least, you know, to obviously to respect her enough to say, wow, I'm kind of intrigued by whatever it is that she represents at this college that maybe mm-hmm. I want to pursue this. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry, I totally yeah. interrupted your, your story, but no, I, just, no. I wanted to highlight that. Yeah, um, I think that the thread here, and so for people who are listening, as I'm talking about this, think about what are some of those kind of core, I think, think of it as a golden thread, like this beautiful thread in your life. And so for me, I know that one of those golden threads in my life has been my experience with singing and has been my experience with creating sacred space through song. Uh, and, and, you know, so as I shared that, I did really uh, have that introduction to it in a very intense and, and, you know, it was both a huge opening and it was also a real trauma, what I experienced as, as an eight-year-old. Um, it was a very, very difficult time, but it was this incredible opening to seeing the deeper purpose that music and song and voice can serve. Mm. And so I've, I, I know I keep, I feel like there's one other tangent I just want to say, cause it, it's popped up two times now as you've been talking. So you were mentioning that Jalen is eight now. And, um, and so for, for everybody listening, whether you have your own child or a niece or a nephew or any kids that you care about in, in your life, um, what was dawning on me, you know, when you were mentioning Jalen's age and, and thinking back to myself experiencing both an opening and a trauma at that age, one thing that's occurring right now is through these pandemic times is that we all and all of our children, again, whether we have kids of our own or kids that we care for in our families and our communities, we're all navigating a collective trauma through this time. You know, life has changed dramatically for us all. And it has been this up and down and this time of uncertainty and this time of not knowing, this time of destabilization, a time of um, what felt certain and and a lot of the supports that we had in place being taken away, uh, especially when we were in shutdown and and all of those, those times. And so what feels like both an important, maybe a necessary (laughs) um, way that we can be exploring this uh, is to think about, okay, if we can all acknowledge and be awake to the fact that we are navigating and it's impacted all of us and all kids, right, in so many different ways. Um, But if we can be awake to and acknowledge that, yeah, this is our collective experience right now, and there are traumas involved in this, and there are openings involved in this. What just strikes me is, is how can we all be 
thinking about the way that we can nurture what it is that we most want to nurture in ourselves, in our children, in each other through this time of collective change. How can we be awake to that and anchored in that? And and the reason I'm saying that, I, I think back to when I was eight, that entire experience, what, what feels significant to say is that, or that I took away from it, was that although it was a very painful time, it was a terrifying time at moments, um, you know, to see my father, his body, you know, deteriorate and lose so much weight and to go bald and, um, and to be so profoundly fragile, right? To, to really witness that as a child was so scary. And um, what, I, what I can say now is that the meaning that I made about that time, even though there were so many hard parts, was rooted in, I think, us all and my parents being connected to what it was that they most wanted to nurture in themselves and in us, regardless of the outcome of of the cancer and where it took my father's body. And um, they were like, you know, in crisis mode and reacting in real time to a very, very overwhelming situation. Um, but I think looking back, we could all say that the gift of that time was that they anchored into this empowered, loving way that developed a sense of agency in me and my brother um, at that time. And that that is something that we have carried forward in the way that we have approached other challenges throughout our lives. So we have this opportunity right now <laughs> with ourselves as adults and with the, the younger people that we are holding space for in our lives yeah. to make meaning together through our actions, through the way that we communicate with each other. And, you know, <laughs> I'll just throw out my, my personal hope and, and vision and wish for the meaning that we can be making is that the greatest thing that we can take away when it comes to our agency in a time where we don't have control over so much, <laughs> we have control over so little, right, in this time, and we're, we're, we're aware of that. It's not an easy thing to be aware of. But what we can be focusing on is the agency that we have the responsibility that we have and the beauty of this responsibility, which is that we are here to take care of each other. We are responsible for each other and we are making hard decisions and we are making sacrifices and this has not been fun. And I think that what I see in so many children, I see this in my own children, I see this in all of the kids that I'm interacting with, is that they are facing really challenging um, times. Mental health is at the top of my radar right now. And so, yeah, like that's real. Let's not sugarcoat that. That is real. Mental health has been a real um 
a bit of a crisis. And I shouldn't say a bit, it's, that's been a real crisis for kids through the, through this pandemic. Yeah. And so let's hold that. Let's hold the complexity of that for ourselves and each other. And let's also look at how, what I see so much resilience being built in these children, us being able to witness how incredibly adaptable they are <laughs> to this kind of joint mission of seeing how all of the efforts that we're making during this time is about this truth that we are relational beings. We are interconnected biologically, socially, spiritually, and um, that although this is hard, what I hope our children, a big piece of the meaning that they make from this time is that we all made choices to come together, even when we couldn't physically be together, <laughs> but that even that choice wasn't about isolation and separation. It was actually about how interconnected we are and how important it is that we make hard choices to truly care for each other. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love that. I love that. And one thing that also came to mind when you were talking was how in this time, so many other things have, have stood out um, as far as our experience, you know, in human bodies, aside from, you know, needing to make choices for our, for our physical bodies or for our families or for our communities or neighbors or whatever. Um, but one thing that I found to be uh, really necessary during this time as a person living in a black body in a black female body was to find mm -hmm. spaces that felt safe um, for me to continue healing um, in tandem with, you know, surviving a time that was so unknown to all of us um, and, and navigating those, that awareness that there is so little that we could control. And you have the ability to hold such safe space for, for so many people. And me as a black woman, I have expressed to you several times how I appreciate um, your integrity in holding safe space and also for recognizing um, the, maybe the, I guess the difference or, yeah. you know, the, the added, um, nuances of being a black woman in spaces with white women in a wellness, a wellness space, because we have all learned a lot about the wellness industry in the last couple of years. Um, yeah. and having, having worked in the wellness industry myself for the last eight years and seeing all those nuances and, and feeling that in and of myself and feeling that otherness and that separation, um, mm -hmm. this last 18 months, has really magnified like the separation and the otherness and the othering of people, whether they be yes. in black bodies or trans bodies or, you know, all kinds of marginalized bodies. And so I would love for you maybe to speak on um, what you, maybe like the work that you have done for yourself during this time or any awareness that has allowed you to hold such safe space for for all kinds of women, specifically um, myself as a woman of color. Yeah. Okay. 
as I, as I want to, um, do my best to answer this question, um, I'm feeling the need to breathe into my body and root into my body in this moment. <clears throat> when I think back to March 2020 and everything shut down and our world changed with the pandemic becoming very real in the United States at that time, I was, I don't know if there's a better way to put it, other, I was truly and deeply disturbed by the way I was seeing a lot of people in, and I am going to frame it this way, um, the white wellness world, like white wellness influencers <laughs> um, responding, how they were responding to these pandemic times and the messages that they were delivering to a lot of people <laughs> that from my standpoint and my body not only felt like disinformation and, and with some people going deep down the rabbit hole of very harmful conspiracy theories, it felt like a moment of reckoning for myself in acknowledging that I am a woman who is living in a white body and is facilitating and holding a space of leadership in the realms of personal healing, spiritual growth, um, communal care, and what I knew in those months, those first early months following um, the the shutdown in March, um, and all uh, and all that unfolded over the course of that year with the murder of George Floyd and with the movements that, um, that took center stage in our country for some months following that with Black Lives Matter and with all of the ways that white supremacy and colonization and the capitalist system that we're a part of, all of these things that a lot of people in, and, and I'll say this, I'll say this for myself, like a lot of people in white bodies could um, know intellectually were problems and could, um, and also had the privilege of not being fully and truly awake to these realities that have been causing such horrific harm to people in black and brown indigenous bodies in this country for 400 plus years. And <clears throat> these 
this connection, this awareness, this work around our personal healing, supporting us in having the capacity to do work that is for the highest good of all concerned, of all bodies, has always been a core value of mine as a human being. And over the course of these past 18, 20 months, I felt this reckoning within my own body about it is urgent and it is necessary for me to go much deeper and much farther with this work being front and center in the way that I myself personally am orienting myself with the world and the people that I support. So <clears throat> what I ended up doing to, um, to really do consistent and persistent work with this was I enrolled in a somatic abolitionism program with Resma Manikam and Education for Racial Equity. That has been a very immersive and um, incredibly, it's, it's, I don't quite even know how to fully articulate this yet because I'm still, we're in the final month of, of this immersive program now. Um, and I'm looking at how I will be carrying that forward in the next year, by the way. But I, I've been in this process of very intentionally bringing this core value that has always been true for me from my brain into my body. As a woman who holds a leadership role and holds healing space, who is living in a white body. And as you know, Takesha, I have, um, I, I, I am certain that I have not gotten this right <laughs> every step of the way, right? Um, and that I will not get it right every step of the way moving forward. What's settling into my body now um, and what my commitment is to the way that I hold space for all bodies, that for all bodies, for all people who, um, who feel that they would like to work with me, you know, in this journey home to you circle. My commitment is that I am in a lifelong practice of, of, you know, and I'm using the term somatic abolitionism that I have learned from Resma. <clears throat> And that I'm in this lifelong process of somatically in my body, understanding and working with um, not only my privilege, but uh, and working on building resilience and capacity to break that privilege down because that is some mighty uncomfortable work, right? <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Yep. Or actually I can't. But, I imagine. Well, but, yeah. yeah, but like that's the, I, you know, 
that's what I'm really understanding. And at this moment in my understanding, that feels like the real on the ground, honest work, and that there does need to be this inner transformation in my body um, that, that supports me in having the resilience, the capacity, the fortitude to be in these uncomfortable situations and um, that are literally with the intention of creating safer space. I can't promise to always hold perfectly safe space, but that I am going, my body is so awake to this <laughs> that whenever I see and I, and I may like, I, and I acknowledge I will have blind spots, but whenever I see that um, safety is not happening in any circle that I hold for women in black, brown, indigenous bodies, women in trans bodies, people in trans bodies, um, it will be my, always my first and foremost uh, responsibility and intention to reestablish safety for those bodies in our circle. Yeah. And I, I thank you so much for acknowledging that in your own work, because I, I feel like it's so important for people to realize that there's never an arrival point for any, any piece of expansion that's necessary in our human experience. And I, I think the, these last couple of years have kind of been like the, the threshing room floor where things are kind of being sifted. Like what is, what is for us? What is, what is true and what is not, what is of integrity and what is not. And I think what's become very clear, at least to myself, is that the the teachers and the leaders um, in healing and wellness spaces, especially for women, people in, um, in female identifying bodies, you know, mothers, people who are also leaders and teachers, the, the people that they lean on, I think it's important that we um, really acknowledge how necessary it is that our teachers and leaders also have the heart of a student and um, recognize that, you know, they're, they're not coming you know, to and and through their healing capacities from like the mountaintop, like oh, I've arrived, I figured it all out. Right, um, we, we are we are all yeah. these these spiritual beings having a human experience, and part of that training ground means that we have to navigate differences, we have to navigate biases, biases, we have to navigate mm-hmm. illnesses, we have to navigate all these different structures that that you know press us and and force us to figure out like. Where do I stand? What is going on? And and I feel like that that speaks so highly to um, your how necessary it is and how um, important it is that you are the one leading this particular work in Journey Home to You. And we've referenced Journey Home to You so many times. And I would love it if you can you know share with our listener mm-hmm. what what exactly is Journey Home to You? What what is this thing that we keep kind of talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> well, it, I mean, like, like, ah, like, kind of like a high level. In a nutshell. So much. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, there's a, it, it's a yeah. So I'll give the the surface like this. I want to give like a surface level answer, and then maybe Takisha, if there's maybe one one maybe core thing that you're like, let's dive into the depths around that piece. Mm-hmm. So. So all that to say, there is tremendous depth to the work that we do in Journey Home to, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And, and so in a nutshell, at the surface level, it is a year long program where we do meet virtually. And the beauty of that is that we can come together from all of these different places and spaces and backgrounds and life experiences, you know, and, um, and as we said earlier, we're not meeting from a place of like, this is who I am and here are like the, the job that I have in the world and, you know, all of my roles and titles and status. We actually come um, from all of our different communities that we're living in, you know, in our local homes and communities in our physical bodies. And we come into this sacred space, a sacred space that we create together and that we're able to do so in virtual space because we're honoring the fact that this deep work of self-discovery of reclaiming the truth of who we are, whatever that looks like for each of us, um, that that is a space that actually transcends space and time. It actually isn't so important. And in some ways, it's actually quite helpful that we're meeting in this alternate virtual space, (laughs) you know, Um, where we don't have to show up with our roles and our titles. And we over the course of a year, we meet um, essentially uh, a few times a, a month. We meet um, one of those calls being the Wise Woman Council that Takesha and Katie Madden, uh, another one of our teaching assistants this year for Journey Home Tea, will be facilitating, which I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited about. So oh my excited. goodness, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but we meet persistently and consistently throughout the year to. Um, to be on this journey of in the beginning, we slow, we start slowly in winter. We, we connect with the season of winter quite literally, and we align ourselves with the natural world so that we may remember our own inner rhythms and our own true nature more and more and more. And so we work with the moon cycle, you know, when we begin and uh, we work with these ways of creating sacred space, literally physical space in our homes that is a place where we can just be deeply tuning into ourselves and and, um, stepping outside of the noise and the grind of everyday life. Uh, When we move into phase two of the the journey, which starts in May, um, so yeah, we begin in January and phase two begins in May, that's when we take our journey through the chakras and we spend a month, May through November, with each chakra. And I should say throughout the whole course of this work, um, we do a lot of sound healing <laughs> um, from beginning to end. And uh, and so in that phase two, we're in this process that we began to learn about in a very gentle and slow way in, in the beginning with the moon cycle, which is this process of releasing and reclaiming, releasing and reclaiming. So, you know, with the new moon, we reclaim by setting intentions, <laughs> um, by getting clear on what matters most now, this month, this moon cycle. And with the full moon, we are in this process of releasing, of releasing what no longer serves as that light of the full moon is shining its light, you know, into every nook and cranny uh, of our lives. We think of it that way metaphorically and let it be a time to not only celebrate 
um, what it is that is culminating in our lives, what it is we want to be seen with. It's also a time to shine, to shine the light on what it is that is no longer serving and what it is we're releasing. So we ease into that cycle of releasing and reclaiming right at the very beginning of the program. And then when we work with each chakra, we're kind of exploring these core fundamental pieces of the human experience, beginning with the root chakra. So we'll just use that as an example. The root chakra is about um, safety, love, and belonging. It is about going from survival mode into a space where we feel safe and held and nurtured, where we felt you know, rooted, grounded, and present. And so we work with that energy the entire month of May with the root chakra. And through, over the course of that month, we do all of these experiential things from the sound healing to dance and movement practices uh, to, you know, we draw, we get, you know, all of these ways of creatively finding the doorways to release, um, to release the blockages around safety, love and belonging and to reclaim uh and in this case, the energy of Great Mother. We work with the archetypal energy with the root chakra of Great Mother, of reclaiming that energy and playing with that energy within ourselves, letting it be expressed in us and through us, um, again, each in our own unique ways. And so we move through this process up through the chakra line um, through the rest of the year doing that work and have then a culminating two-day virtual retreat to integrate, embody, and celebrate uh, all of the good work of this year. Um, so that that's my answer. How does Did that feel like I kind of gave a, it's hard, but I think I gave a summary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good. And, and as she was saying, like, you know, there's so much in it and I'm, I'm so grateful that I had the honor to, um, you know, share some of my gifts in this, um, in this now completing year, um, yes. and going forward, um, I was able to share, you know, a monthly yoga practice with the circle, um, and a yoga nidra practice that coincided with the theme of that month. And it was just, it was for myself. Um, it, it was such a, that in and of itself was a transformational, um, component because one of the, uh, growth edges that I have been working through with my through my work with Laura was my um, safety and being visible, um, and I'm mm-hmm. you know so grateful and and thank you so much for giving me that opportunity to be visible in a space that I already perceived to be a safe space, um, mm-hmm. and just working through that um, showing up in that capacity and to witness how my gifts were able to impact. Um, you know, the circle of women who were called for this year um, and how my work might impact the circle of women, you know, that we're calling in for the coming year. I I just, Mm -hmm. it's been so beautiful to witness the transformation in not only myself, but the other women through this work, through the content that you provide within Journey Home to You, um, which is, I think the doors are open now. They for, are, yes. For the yeah, 2022 year. Yeah, yes. for the 2022 <laughs> yeah. year. Um, mm-hmm. And Laura created something, a, a beautiful ebook that I would love for you to um, share with us about like what, 
what led you to creating this um, ebook, which is called From Hectic yeah. to Harmonious, which feels yes. so <laughs> like, oh, that that is that is exactly how I feel during this time of year, like a little hectic. Yeah. And I would love to just yeah. feel like things are coming together. So tell tell us a little bit about how you how you came to this and, and what yeah. people might find in this offering. Yeah. So um, back in 2015, I created the From Hectic to Harmonious Holiday Challenge, which uh, led me to creating the ebook. And no, I should say the challenge was even earlier than that. I think that 2015 was the year that I wrote that I that I wrote the the book based on this work that had emerged through guiding thousands of women back at that time in this holiday challenge, so to speak, which which was simply about how can you take a moment to pause and um, look at what it is that you actually value the most and what it is you most want to nurture in yourself and in your family, um, in your community during the holiday season. Uh, there's so much pressure. And so I'm going to speak for a moment to directly to the moms who might be listening. We put so much pressure. And by the way, the society culture puts so much pressure on us. Consumer culture <laughs> puts so oh, much yeah. pressure on us to create the perfect <laughs> holiday, whatever traditions each of us celebrate. In my family, we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the winter solstice. Um, so whatever holiday traditions each of you celebrate, there's so much pressure to make everything perfect, to create the most magical experience for our children. And, and there's often a lot of pressure to get like all of the latest gifts and gadgets and what, you know, what have you. And what I'm arguing for, what I'm taking a stand for in this book is that one, um, what your kids and, and if you don't have children, I ask you to really translate this to just the people that you love, <laughs> the people that you love and love you, what they most want during the holiday season and what will serve them most is actually our love and our presence so not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, yeah. <laughs> but our, uh, our, our presence. And I also am taking a stand for us no longer as caretakers um, trying to create the perfect magical holiday experience at the cost of our own sanity, mm -hmm. at the cost of our own well-being, <laughs> at the cost of our own joy. And so the ebook offers 31 daily practices. So it's literally carrying you through the entire month of December to, um, and they're all just ideas and little nuggets and tidbits that you can take. So it's not that you like, you know, read this book and do every single thing that's listed on every single day. It's really an invitation. Um, and we begin with the book of like rooting in how do you most want to feel this holiday and let that be your anchor, let that be your guide. And then how can you simplify, how can you simplify, <laughs> reduce what you're doing and step more into the space of the joy, the connection, the fun um, and maybe the sacred traditions that you really want to be carrying forward with your family in ways that are life-giving to all of you, including you. So um, that, that, is, that is what we achieve and, and work with in From Hectic to Harmonious. And how, how can people find this ebook? 
Um, so they can go to hectic2harmonious.com and it's a, it's a free ebook. Um, and when people sign up for the book, you'll receive a weekly email from me throughout the month of December, uh, to just really support you in anchoring in to what matters most. Remember to keep simplifying, remember to release things from your to-do list. That's the release, release all the nonsense, (laughs) release all the things that drive you crazy, burn you out and reclaim what it is that matters most to you throughout this holiday season. I I promise that it will not just serve you, but it will serve everybody that you love. I'm here for all of that. Um, (laughs) And I'll, again, I'll place the the link for you to find that directly in the show notes. So you don't have to, you know, forage the, the internet trying to find it. It's right below um, the, the recording here. Um, and so my one of my last questions before I will ask you to share some of your beautiful sound with us um, is what practices do you specifically lean on when you need to stay with yourself? How do you stay with mm-hmm. yourself when life is challenging and you're being called to move out of your comfort zone? Mm-hmm. So for me, one of the simplest most doable and accessible ways that I stay with myself is to step outside the walls of my home and literally receive the grounding, clarifying, settling energy of the natural world. Um, so I have a very regular practice and, and it is also my go-to practice when I am really, really stressed <laughs> and off kilter, um, which is, uh, I'll share maybe just two little things. Um, I have a sit spot. This is something we do in Journey Home to You. I have a place in the woods near my home that I go to regularly, the same place in nature. Um, that I've been going to for years, years now. And it's um, a place where I go with no agenda. I go with no need to come back with perfect answers or solutions or like my next big idea if I'm struggling with work or something. (laughs) Um, It's a place where I literally sit and I breathe And I let the sights and sounds and textures of the trees, of the water in the stream, of the um, earth, uh, I sit on a rock, on the rock, you know, beneath my seat. I allow that to literally stay, it helps me stay with myself, to bring me back to my center to settle my body. If my nervous system is, you know, firing off in all directions, going into the natural world is, is, um, because, uh, and I think especially because I've been practicing this for so long, um, as with any practice, it's like we're building our muscles, right? It's just like an instantaneous shift. Um, so, you know, I live in Maine where I have, access to this space right next to me, but I want to say to everybody listening, um, wherever you are in the world, you are a part of the natural world. Whether you live in an urban environment or you live somewhere like where I am (laughs) or somewhere in between, um, 
connecting with the natural world in a city park, connecting with the natural world if you live by the ocean, connecting with the natural world in um, like a lovely park and playground in your suburban neighborhood. It's there for us. And the more that we slow down and, and get present with that, we don't have to do anything complex or elaborate. <laughs> we just need to breathe and be present. And it literally feels like a realignment. Um, it's like my own heartbeat is, is able to once again match like the heartbeat of the earth when I do that. Um, and the other thing that I'll say that is just so simple and helpful is to just literally walk outside. So, but think of it as a meditative walk, get out of, you know, get out of the house and have a meditative walk where the intention is just, I am releasing, um, you know, what it is that is, um, challenging me right now. Not that I'm letting the whole thing go, but I'm, I'm releasing the fight, flight, or freeze mode from my body. I'm letting that shift and flow into that settled, open, you know, receptive state. So those would be two very simple things. And then, you know, for me, it's sound healing. <laughs> I do a lot of work with sound, uh, not just professionally, but for myself as well. I work with sound a lot. Um, toning, humming, singing, uh, to, to settle and to stay with myself. And then from that simple settled space where we reestablish safety in our own bodies, that is when we're able to navigate, I, I believe, or you know, I'll speak again for myself, it's from that space that I am able to navigate um, any opportunity as well as any challenge with more grace, with more presence and much more wisdom, rooted clarity about yeah, in this moment, what is it that I want to nurture in myself in the world? Yeah. And all those practices that you shared, I'm so grateful that you've shared that with us within Journey Home to You over the last um, three years that I've been a part of it. And it's been really fun to, I think I shared this with you before, to kind of witness like how these things are just a part of me now, like to have yes. my sit spot in my neighborhood and um, to tone when I feel like I'm kind of on the edge of losing it just a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, in, in this time I've gotten my own, I've gotten, I think I have three, three or four bowls now that like I will just sit in my studio space and just like play my bowls and have shared them with, you know, my students that have come to my home or in the before times, I would take one of my bowls to, <laughs> to the outside studio and play um, for yeah. my, my students there. And it's just been so, so powerful to be able to bring these practices in because they really are mm-hmm. stabilizing and grounding. So thank you so much for sharing. Mm-hmm. And speaking of sound, would you mm-hmm. be willing to, yeah. to share um, maybe a, a short sound healing with us and listener keep yeah. in mind that of course this podcast mechanism is not going to be exactly to the degree of of brilliance of a sound healing that we experience um on zoom with laura um in our in our program but i would love it if you can just share a little bit with us that would be okay. so amazing i would love for people to hear yeah. it yeah yeah so so i i will say you know I'll reiterate what Takesha just said through this little platform that we're on right now. I'm not confident that the sound is going to come through exactly in the way that it does in, in the more robust way that, that we have set up um, with the zoom platform that I use for our sacred circle calls. But what I invite all of you to 
take in and the intention I invite you to hold is that regardless of how um, perfect or not the sound is, is that you are receiving this energy that is, and, and I'm working, so the, the bowl that I have here in front of me is the root chakra bowl. It's the C note. And yeah, it's, it, it's, you know, it, it really, you know, so root chakra is, it's, it's home, right? Root chakra is home. And so let's, um, as, as we uh, take this short little moment with sound, however it comes through, let's hold the deeper intention of really receiving that energy of, of, of home receiving that energy of rootedness, receiving that energy of presence, and, and maybe holding the intention of feeling into what matters most.
so perfect. I think that was the perfect place to close out our time together. And I just, I just love you for being you Mm -hmm. and showing up in the world in the way that you do and for holding such beautiful space for so many people with so many stories and so many unique journeys that they are on for themselves. Mm -hmm. May I say one thing back of to course. you? <laughs> one thing that has been such a gift and I have felt so much awe witnessing you over the past few years earnestly doing, and I know it has not all been easy, the soulful work of creating safety within yourself to shine your light, to share your gifts. And, you know, what we have done together in Journey Home to You and even the amazing work that you did, the gift that you offered in Journey Home to You last year or this over this past year with the Journey Yoga and the Yoga Nidra, it has been this amazing practice ground. You know, that's, I think, what, I'm, what, what really hits me about what we're doing in Journey Home to You. It is this incredible practice ground. Um, and, you know, because you've chosen to keep returning year after year, we've been deepening and deepening and deepening into that practice ground. And one of the core intentions that we've held is around letting your unique gifts, your unique strengths and your callings, let them out, let them become manifest in this world, share them now um, as you are called. And it has just been really uh, so, so powerful and uh, and so deeply joyful (laughs) to not just see what's happened within the journey home to you circle and the ways that you have both received and given in the journey home to you circle, but to witness the work that you are doing out in the world, the words that you share, the ways that you hold space, the ways that you are um, offering your gifts to other people in this world. It is just such a joy to witness that evolution. And, um, and I just feel such a sense of profound and vast potential <laughs> when I imagine you. And I think what I want to say to everybody listening in this moment, as I'm saying this to Takesha, imagine the, the unique potential that we all hold I'm going to bring it back to something you said earlier, Takesha, which is that we are exploring not um, how can I check all the boxes of success in my life, but we're actually working in Journey Home to You on who is the elder that I want to become. And so I just want to say witnessing you and your path towards elderhood is such a great joy and um, maybe Others, as they're listening to this, and those who have been witnessing Takesha's work, 
over time, whether you're new to Takesha or been following Takesha for years, uh, let's celebrate and feel into the potential, not only that Takesha holds, but that we all hold to be on that path towards elderhood, which is absolutely what our children and our future descendants need. Amen to all of that. And I will just lastly say that if it were not for Laura and her work, I don't quite know whether or not I would have had the courage to even start this podcast. The name for the podcast actually came to me um, through one of our sessions. And, you know, I wrote it down and circled it and sat with it in my sit spot for many weeks. And I'm just so grateful to, like I said, you're, you're, holding the space for me to even evolve to the level at which I have been. So thank you for playing such a, a pivotal role for, for being the doula of my own transformation and and birthing of, you know, these, these newer iterations of um, how I've been able to show up as, as a healer and a space holder um, in my own right. So thank you. And thank you for being here and to all of those, all of you who are listening, check the show notes, find Laura, follow her, join the circle, be a part of anything that she has to offer because <laughs> quite literally, Laura is, is such a gem and I think we'd be hard pressed in, in any level of our, of our lifetimes to find such a profound teacher. So wherever you are in your life, whatever part of your journey that you're on, I think everyone, um, every woman, every nurturer, every mother, every healer deserves to be in space and learning from and with and alongside of a woman like Laura. So thank you so much again. And I hope you have the most beautiful day. Thank you, Takesha. I wish you the same.